cast and crew, this is your places call. Places, please, for top of show. All right. Welcome to Waiting for Places. Today we have Joe Shaloub, and she's coming. They, excuse me, they are coming to us from Wisconsin, right? Yes, Wisconsin. Madison. Yes, Madison. So, Joe, tell me your life story. How did you come to be? What is the, or <laughs> if this were a superhero, what is your origin? Like, what are we spending the first 30 minutes on the film doing? Oh boy. Um, I can't say that my origin story is too interesting, at least for a superhero, but um, I'm a born and bred Wisconsin girl. I grew up in Milwaukee, um, went to school there, went to college there, moved to Madison in 2010. Um, grew, grew up on the South side. So, you know, lots of um, working class folks and families and all of that kind of stuff. It was a great, great place to grow up. Um, and yeah, I've been in Madison for about 11 years now. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. What drew you to Madison from Milwaukee? You moved what, like slightly Northwest or is Madison directly above? It's Madison's pretty much due West, due West, west of Milwaukee. Okay. Um, yeah. And I, uh, you know, senior year of college, looking for jobs, looking for internships, things like that. Um, we did like a internship our senior year where we got placed with different um, organizations. And the one that I was, I was intern, I was an intern for um, at the time had a job opening at their office in Madison. I applied, got it. And it was just like, here we go right out of college. Let's, let's start being an adult. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was, and that was the initial impetus. And then it's evolved from there, but yeah. So what has kept you in Madison? Um, gosh, you know, I, I really liked Madison compared to Milwaukee. It, it was a slower pace. You know, I grew up in a city, lived in a city my whole life. Um, and so Madison, it, it still has a city feel, but it's a little smaller. It's a big college town. So it kind of has a different vibe there. Um, and, you know, I was just really loving getting to know a new theater community, um, you know, just developing my, my skills and my experience and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So I've just kind of stuck around for a while and, and have met just some amazing people. Um, and they, they're really what keeps me here, honestly, for, for so long. I think I would have moved on uh, long before this had it not been for the amazing people that I've gotten to meet and work with and call my friends. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that, that definitely makes a huge difference Hopefully. in terms yeah. of quality of life and, and who you want to be around. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. How did you pick stage management? How are you, when were you like, what is the origin story? Cause <laughs> I, if there is a second grader out there who wants to be a stage manager, God bless him. Because right. in second grade, I wanted to marry Gordon McRae from Oklahoma. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I think in second grade, I wanted to be like a marine biologist or something. That's so cool. I don't Wait, know. <laughs> but is Milwaukee on the lake where you could you at least go down and be like, dear invasive zebra mussels? <laughs> yes, actually, I, I uh, grew up blocks away from Lake Michigan. So I was pretty privileged in that sense where... I had the lake, I had the beach, I had parks, I had all sorts of stuff right by me. So I think that was a major influence, but um, 
you know, I didn't actually choose stage management. Um, stage management kind of chose me in a, in a weird way. Um, so it, in the middle of, I was kind of a late bloomer in the theater world. Um, never really had much of an interest in it until I wanted to start taking voice lessons with my music teacher in high school. Cause I was just like, you know, I kind of like to sing, it's fun. Let's see if I'm any good at it, whatever. <clears throat> and it turns out I was fairly decent at it. So I started, joined the choir in high school and, and, you know, did all the, the we didn't even have a theater program at our school. Cause I went to a very small private all girls high school. Um, so I, you know, I was in kind of like the community theaters and things like that. And then I graduated and did a couple things here and there. And then when I moved to Madison, I was like, you know, this is a, I didn't know anybody in Madison. I was like, where are my people? Got to find the theater people. Where y'all at? So started auditioning for things, you know, was in a couple like community theater shows and stuff like that. And then I auditioned for a show with, with kind of like a, I guess you would call it like a semi-pro. They're not totally community, but not totally on the professional level either. I auditioned, you know, sang my songs, did my thing, walked out of the room. One of the people from the table followed me immediately. And I was like, that's kind of weird. Like, why are you, why are you following me? And she was like, uh, so I don't think we want to cast you in the show, but, um, have you ever thought about working on stage management? And at the time me, you know, I'm, I'm like a 23 year old kid. I've only ever performed really. I've never done anything else in the theater world. In my head, I was like, I don't know what that means. I don't even know what a stage manager is. <laughs> like, I don't, I have no clue what that means. But on the outside, I was just so eager to like find that community, find, you know, the theater and, and get to know people and all that kind of stuff that I was like, sure, yeah, let's do it. And I'll figure it out later. Um, so, you know, I did like my first couple of shows. Um, gosh, this would have been the winter of 2011. Mm -hmm. And it was just a really natural fit for my personality and just sort of my organized brain, the way that I thought about things and um, the way I communicate with people. And so from there, I just kept getting hired and got into other companies and worked my way up to being calling shows and bigger theaters and all that kind of stuff. So I never set out to be a stage manager, but now I can't imagine not being one. Like it was, it was just the right fit and luck. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly that feeling when someone's like, have you tried this? And you're like, okay. Oh, oh, this is what I meant to be doing with the rest of my life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely been that way. And now a lot of me is like, I never want to get back on stage again. I'm meant to be behind the scenes in a booth, like doing that, that just fits so much better for me. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then what kind of theater are you like, what's the theater scene like in Madison? Is it a lot of improv or comedy or musicals or? Yeah. I mean, the, the theater scene in Madison is like gigantic. There are, I mean, you, you know, 
in Milwaukee, there's a bar on every corner in Madison, there's a theater on every corner. I feel like it's like, there's so many companies here. Um, and it's, everybody kind of has their niche. Um, Cause you know, unfortunately in, in Madison, especially being the capital, folks are, are competing for resources and competing for funding. And so everybody kind of has to have their like, their special thing to make them stand out um, and, and get a lot of the funding that they're looking for. So, I mean, there are companies that just do plays, there are companies that just do musicals, there's companies that only do like new or totally kind of unheard of works. Um, there's opera, there's dance, there's, there's uh, touring shows that come through the big house. I mean, there, there's anything and everything. Um, the one tricky thing to Madison is that if you're looking to be a full-time stage manager, that's not really possible here um, with, with so many other communities, right? Like that's true for a lot of places because um, there, there's only a handful of real like professional opportunities in Madison um, and, and folks like to hang on to, to the people that they know, right? And, and the people that they've worked with and they love the work that they do and those types of things. So um, that's why I've, I've sort of had these simultaneous full-time careers as a stage manager and as a social worker, um, because you can't really just do stage management here very easily. But there's theater everywhere in this town. Right, which is amazing. But I love that you brought up, you also work full-time as a social worker. Mm -hmm. which I can't even think about how many hours a week you must do. And then the amount of, <laughs> you're like, here, I'll have a lot of responsibility as a stage manager. And then I'll also have a lot of responsibility as a social worker. And it may be that I just don't know what a social worker does. But, <laughs> so first, could you explain that? And then like, how do you make them work together? Yeah. You know, it's, it's been tricky at times. Certainly it's, been exhausting at times definitely <laughs> um i mean there's all different types of social workers in the world my career has mostly focused on housing insecurity um and food insecurity so i've worked for um you know organizations that deal with housing discrimination i worked for the wisconsin WIC program for a number of years which is you know food benefits for women with children under the age of five um, right now I work for an organization that has a separate food pantry, but we also do like rent assistance funds or utility assistance funds and case management. I've also worked in a lot more intense environments. Um, I was a social worker on a 24 seven care floor for folks who have, um, severe mental health are, you know, in the middle of severe mental health crises or substance abuse issues or co-occurring things that are happening. And that's, that's pretty intense. Um, so my, my ability to balance the social worker world and the theater world sort of waxed and waned with what position I was doing during the day. Um, Cause some places, you know, you got you have your personal cell phone and you have your work cell phone and you're on call 24 seven. And that makes it really difficult to commit to a show and say you're the stage manager when you need to be there every night and you need to be on top of your stuff. Um, 
but then you get a call in the middle of it and you know that's a lot to balance so it's definitely ebbed and flowed with whatever positions i was doing but yeah definitely lots of uh 14 hour <laughs> 14 hour days go going from the day job you know ending at like 4 30 or 5 shoving some pizza in my face and then getting to the rehearsal room by six to set up and you know all that kind of stuff and being there till 10 30 or 11. Mm -hmm. um so it's it's certainly been exhausting uh to balance those things it's doable and i've been lucky enough to have um you know a partner that works as well and can manage a lot of the household stuff while I'm trying to, you know, run from here to there and all over the place. Um, so I'm very lucky for that. But yeah, it's um, it's been amazing. You know, the how do I want to put it? The exhaustion that has been felt over the years in trying to balance both of those things together. Um, almost always gets outweighed by how naturally the two things blend with each other over the years um, and how my skills as a, as a social worker have transferred to being a stage manager and, and vice versa, right? I mean, you're working with people and, and relationships and communication in both. And that's been really it's been really interesting over the years to see like how they've connected and blended and you know all of that kind of stuff so it's been really rewarding it's been exhausting but it's been <laughs> rewarding for sure so is it would you find yourself being like i'm not gonna take i'm not gonna move to a new social worker gig because i really want to do this show and i know that i can't do that show if i moved or would mm -hmm. there be you already said like sometimes you had to based on your day job you maybe wouldn't do a show because it was just too taxing or you physically couldn't, but were there, was there ever a time where you like, actually, I'm going to refocus on theater and let the day job just be a day job. You know, it's, it has, it hasn't occurred to me until recently to make, to consider a, my theater career more of the priority. Um, I think for me, you know, especially being a stage manager, most of us are pretty organized and like logical, reasonable people. Um, and much of me, you know, definitely fell into like the stigma of, well, this is, this isn't a full-time gig. I need to have a stable nine to five full-time gig. That's what I need to focus on. Cause I need the money and the benefits and the, this and the, that and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's been within the last six months to a year where I've really started to shift my focus and I really want to pursue that theater thing full time and am willing to put the social work stuff on hold for this thing that this show or this company or this production or whatever it might be that's really calling to me. Um, I will say though, over the years I've used a lot of my PTO time to do theater things <laughs> because that's what I wanted to spend my time on and that's totally fine. But I've definitely prioritized like day gigs or something like, or like weekend gigs and used time or like called in, called in sick um, <laughs> because I was like doing this thing. So there's been moments like that, but in terms of like a full 
brain shift. Um, it hasn't been until recently where I've really started to think about that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then I also, so it sounded like when you're describing your social worker employment, it sounded a lot like you're working for a lot of not-for-profit agencies as opposed mm -hmm. to working for the government yes. and you're nodding. So this is <laughs> fascinating to me because I'm assuming theater is not-for-profit. You mentioned how difficult it is to get funding in Madison. Everyone's scrambling for money. Mm -hmm. And then your day job is also working for not-for-profit. And I assume also maybe a little bit scrambling for money. Do you yeah. see correlations or like, is it easier to get funding in one or is there something that like one sector is doing a really great job at fundraising and theater should learn from them or mm. it's kind of difficult because you know how do you not justify not feeding children but <laughs> right right we should feed them yeah we should feed them um that's a really fascinating question actually and you know i've i've seen some parallels not not necessarily in funding in ways of, of acquiring funding. But I've definitely seen examples on either side of like operations or the way that nonprofits are structured or the way that they communicate that I've definitely applied to the other one. Um, there's a company that I, I work um, pretty closely with here in Madison and I um, am the note taker for their board meetings. And I don't know how many times I've said to my supervisor at a social worker job at a day job where I'm like, more boards need to be like this board because this organization has figured out how to do this right. Um, and vice versa, you know, I, I'll look at, and, and a lot of it too is, is looking at the impact that an organizational structure has on whoever we're serving. There are a lot of parallels that I've noticed between the social work world and the theater world in the way that the nonprofit like organizational structure develops and how that culture trickles down to, you know, either the clients in the social services world or the audiences and the artists in the theater world. So there are absolutely ways to learn from each one. And I, especially now talking a lot about racial equity and making, you know, really concerted efforts to like do active work instead of performative work. I use the stuff that I'm learning in the theater all the time at my social work job. When we're talking about stuff like that as a staff, I'm like, well, this is how the theater industry is, is doing things and talking about things. And the specific topic may not be relevant, like no more 10 out of 12s. Well, that doesn't exist in the social work world, right? But there are lessons from that conversation and takeaways from that that we can apply over here that will totally make sense. Um, so yeah, it, they're constantly like working against each other in my head and, and and blending and struggles in, in both areas of funding. I mean, you'd be surprised, uh, maybe not surprised, uh, like how little funding there is to feed the children. <laughs> sometimes, you know, sometimes it's like this, you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel for resources. Um, 
so there there are struggles with both i think um but both nonprofit worlds could definitely learn from one another for sure in the way in which the organizations are structured in the way which they communicate with whoever they're serving for sure mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i i like that that segues nicely into i wanted to ask you about the wcu white american theater demands when we go back to work how are you planning on incorporating those demands are you, I mean, are you incorporating them into your social work? And when we go back to theater, are you going to be able to take stuff and then incorporate it into the rehearsal room or a performance or a board meeting? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's it's interesting. I So again, a, a company that I'm pretty close with here in Madison, we did um, like a full audit sort of of all of our equity work over the past 11, 12 years, however long we've been around. And then also, you know, had work groups um, and dissected the We See You White American Theater document and created, you know, our own priorities of what, what we are able to accomplish ourselves, what we can do immediately, what's gonna take work with um, our third party, um, like rehearsal spaces and things like that. Cause we, we don't own the theater space that we work out of. So, you know, we just rent a space. So how are some of those things, what conversations need to happen for that entity to be on board with something we're doing over here and all of those types of things. And that's been really interesting. I, I would say for myself personally, I've, I've been doing a lot of personal reflecting and work regarding that document to that many of my colleagues in the Milwaukee theater community and signed it. And that's been really relevant for us here in Madison, especially as well. For me, it's my, how adjacent I am to whiteness. Um, as, as a white passing Middle Eastern stage manager, I think there are a lot of layers within that document that take a lot of personal um, reflection and understanding being a, a BIPOC person in the theater industry, but understanding that my experience within that is not the same as a Black person's experience or a Latinx person's experience or an Indigenous person's experience. Um, so a lot of that document has given me time to do some personal reflection and figuring out as a BIPOC person in the room that has a very different experience, but also as a stage manager in the room, how do I become an advocate for those demands? Um, how do I help the companies that I'm working with in doing better? and responding to those things in an appropriate way. How do I help facilitate those types of conversations that are maybe uncomfortable for a lot of white dominant theater companies? Because um, I think as a stage manager, you have, whether you like it or not, you have a position of power in the room, right? So um, how do I use that to be a conduit for these things. Um, and how do I 
in the position that I'm in, just continue to do better myself in my own personal life, in my own career, um, professional world, all of those things. So I'm definitely, you know, t looking at that document, I look at that document like almost every week because I'm like, I want to make sure that I'm really reading and, and, and listening in the sense um, to what is being asked and taking the time to really absorb it and, and do right by, by the things that, that the, the, the people who wrote that document are asking. Um, so yeah, it's been a lot of reflecting and, and, and educating myself and also advocating for my fellow Middle Eastern artists who often feel um, it kind of in between two worlds when it comes to conversations of equity um, and figuring out just how to, not, not only how to talk to talk, but how to walk the walk. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you have a large community of fellow Middle Eastern um, artists? I'm genuinely asking because as someone who grew up in Illinois, or Illinois feels very white, particularly not Chicago, Illinois. And in my head, Wisconsin is exactly the same, but yeah. <laughs> maybe there is a community that I don't know about. I mean, if there is, I haven't found it. <laughs> uh, no, I've literally met two other Middle Eastern theater artists in the entire state of Wisconsin. Um, both being male. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, I know that in, in Chicago, there are movements like Manassa Midwest and other groups that are, that are um, created and facilitated by Middle Eastern, North African, South Asian individuals and artists. Um, and so I, you know, I'm excited to, to connect further with them, but yeah, here in Wisconsin is very, very much like Illinois. It's a very white, I mean, I think Dane County where Madison is, is, is like 87% white. I mean, it's very, you know, kind of across the board, which, which makes, you know, conversations about like, how do we get more diverse audience members and how do we, you know, all of those types of things really weird and difficult and like kind of irritating because it's like this is the landscape that we live in our audience reflects that but there are these huge communities of BIPOC people who we're not connecting with somehow so why is that what what is happening um so yeah, as far as other Middle Eastern artists here in Wisconsin, I know of two. If anybody knows of any others, please let me know. Yeah. <laughs> and is this, a, is, this a, <laughs> is this a call to action that like Manasseh needs to reach out to maybe other communities or, or like, I guess I'm kind of like, what can I do acknowledging that I am a white stage manager living in another state but like how what can I do to help you find like that com community that's a really um kind question actually <laughs> um you know I don't I don't know I think 
you know, there's, there's a, a small realistic part of me that's like, well, they just don't exist in the state and that's fine. But <laughs> the other part of me is like, well, there, there has to be connections somewhere. I think, um, you know, for me personally, I'm open to any, any suggestions, whether it's, hey, have you checked out this student organization at this, you know, XYZ university? Maybe you, maybe you can connect with some folks there. Um, you know, have you heard of this community group or, or things like that? I think for me specifically too, um, much of the Middle Eastern Arab community that I've experienced is also Muslim and I was not raised Muslim. So there's also a, a religious component there um, where a lot of that community kind of, you know, centers around places of worship and that's not something that I'm a part of. So there's part of that too, but yeah, I mean, so much of it I think is just um, being open to having conversations like this and letting, letting people voice, you know, what, what they're missing or, or what connections they're longing for. And then, you know, help, helping just facilitate that as best you can. I can't think of anything totally specific, but I, I think it all comes down to an, an openness just to help people get connected and get involved. And, um, just that relationship building part and being willing to sometimes have the tough conversations that eventually can create something that can connect people further. So, um, you know, that, that's kind of how I see it. I'm all about just getting, getting connected with folks and, and figuring out different pathways to stay connected and to work together to, to create something new or find what's missing or whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. And I, you mentioned that you kind of want to move to Chicago. Um, is being part of a larger community part of that? Or was it just Chicago's where the work is and you kind of outgrown Madison? I, I think it's both for sure. Um, you know, I, I've been in Wisconsin my whole life. Um, so it's just kind of, it's time for a, a scenic change, you know, not that Chicago is like that much different or that far removed, but- Our buildings are taller, okay? That's true, I, so much taller. <laughs> it's totally true. Um, you know, so just, you know, part of it is, you know, I'm, I'm like in my mid thirties, just looking for a change. Much of my partner's family still lives in the Chicago area. So we're excited to be closer to them. Um, and yeah, definitely like, bigger city, bigger pool of companies to hopefully work for, more opportunity, more connections. Um, but yeah, there is this personal longing too of like, there's a part of me that, especially because my own family is sort of um, scattered across the country and don't keep in touch very easily anymore. It's like, there's a, there's a cultural like heartbeat that I'm missing, um, that I'm hoping, you know, getting more connected with some groups in Chicago can bring on a very personal level. So it's kind of all, all of those things combined. I'm just kind of excited to not live in Wisconsin for a little bit. I, lo <laughs> I, lo I love Wisconsin, but I've been here my whole life and it's, you know, sometimes it's just time for a change. Yeah. And why is that change? Also, I need to say, just so you know, we don't have 
cheese curds in Chicago. You got to go back to Wisconsin <laughs> for those. It, you know, it's okay. I know there's a Culver's at, at least it's one not, along the way. No, so. cheese curds got to be squeaky. You want fresh and you want, I sh- why am I telling you this? You live in well, Wisconsin. But do you want fries, fried cheese curds or fresh cheese curds? Because it's two totally different things. I'm a fresh cheese curds kind of girl. Okay, well, I can get on board with that. I mean, I don't discriminate. So <laughs> I'll eat whatever cheese curds you put in front of me. Pretty much. I mean, I will also like fry the cheese. I will eat it. But Absolutely. yes, to me, a Wisconsin <laughs> cheese curd is fresh. That's fair. Um, yep. And for those who don't know what we're talking about, go to Wisconsin, get some fresh cheese curds. If they don't squeak... It's nonsense. Throw go them to, back. Go to, yep. Go to Farmer John. He's the best. Farmer John. Farmer John. He's the best. He's at he's at the farmers market every Saturday. You gotta go. It's great. Road trip to Madison. Here Road we come. Trip. It's only like three hours from Chicago. It's not a big deal. I'm just saying. I have gone <laughs> farther for cheese. For less. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is gonna be a great segue um but why so my next question why chicago you could i mean there are so many cities you could go to la you could go to miami you could go to new york you could go to philly why are you like i need to move out of my state i'll move to chicago which is on the same lake that i grew up on (laughs) right right yeah i think that's a fair question and um there there's a, a several different reasons for that i think um for me personally, I am not a person who um, takes risks very easily. Um, and so Chicago, although it's it's a, a new city to learn and a new way of life to figure out, it's still familiar. Um, you know, I, I do have a, a lot of friends who live in the Chicago area. Um, again, my partner's family's there and that's a big, you know, point for us to, to be able to go there. Um, and for me, you know, it's kind of like, you can take the girl out of the Midwest, but you can't take the Midwest out of the girl. Right. So (laughs) it's like that, that way of life is so comforting for me in a lot of ways. Um, that it just feels right. You know, I, I do, I, I researched a lot of different cities. I was like, do I want to go to Portland? Do I want to go to Austin? Am I going to New York? Am I going over here? Um, and Chicago just, you know, it's that gut, it's that gut feeling of that just sounds and feels right in a lot of ways. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, Chicago's totally not that far removed from, <laughs> from being in Milwaukee or being in Wisconsin. But to me, that's a good thing. To me, that it it brings the excitement of moving to a new place, but not so much overwhelm that I can't focus on what my goals really are. And that is creating a community there, developing relationships there, having a theater career for myself there. and that's, you know, that's really, really the goal. So that's the hope. We'll see. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you're welcome anytime right after I road trip for cheese. You can come, you can road trip down to me. We'll have you, we'll picnic on the lake. It'll be amazing. Awesome. We'll get some Portillo's. Yeah. Oh, It'll be Portillo's. great. Yes. I mean, we do have, we do have a Portillo's here in Madison now, which is like five minutes from my house, um, which is really dangerous. <laughs> I gotta say. It's true. 
But we got other good stuff too. We we'll take you out. We'll take you out. Yeah. Give Um, me a beef and some Malort and we'll be good. Oh, Mary Hungerford. (laughs) Aging Mary Hungerford. (laughs) Um, Okay. I've got two more questions. Yeah. I, my favorite podcast believes that everyone is a nerd about something. Mm -hmm. Uh, As an example, for me, it's Beauty and the Beast. And yeah. Disney movies, mostly Beauty and the Beast, though. I have read probably over 200 versions. I have strong opinions about this fairy tale. <laughs> and I could talk to you for hours about this fairy tale. What are you a nerd about? What is the thing that you're like, I will know everything about this one thing? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, first of all, Beauty and the Beast was always my favorite Disney movie growing up. So we will have tremendous. conversations. Katrina. You're already my new best friend, Joe. Don't tell my old best friend. (laughs) There will be many uh, a possibly drunk conversation about (laughs) Beauty and the Beast. Um, Gosh, what am I a nerd about? Um, You know, I'm a big history nerd. I'm a big archaeology nerd. Um, Like in my many many iterations of what do you want to be when I when you grow up as a kid. Um, there was, I definitely had a phase where all I wanted to be was Indiana Jones. <laughs> I mean, because that's looking awesome. at it from a 2021 lens, I'm like, maybe he's kind of misogynistic and horrible, but like, yeah, yeah, I 100%. love him. <laughs> just, yeah, just that like adventure and finding historical things. And yeah, I mean, I was so obsessed with Indiana Jones that I uh, played the theme song on the piano in a talent show in grade school. I mean, that's like how obsessed I was. Um, I, that is nothing to be ashamed of. If anything, <laughs> I would put that on your resume. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I'm a big, I'm a really big history nerd. Um, in For many, many years, I've been doing um, historical reenactment at the Bristol Renaissance Fair. And that's been... Ooh a joy. Um, but yeah, I just love, I love digging into history. I love the, the romance of sort of like digging in the dirt and finding these old things and researching about them. And I'm also a big nerd about historical architecture. Um, yeah, that's, that's probably, I'm like almost a little ashamed at how obsessed I am with some of those things, but, um, yeah. Do not be ashamed. And come to Chicago because every fall they have open house Chicago. Have you heard about this? Oh my God, no. What is So it? the Chicago Architecture Foundation opens up a lot, like 200 locations across the city. And it's free. So you can just walk around various neighborhoods or like drive all over the city to see what you want. And you, it's free to like get into places that are not usually open to the public. And oh some of them it's a marketing thing. You're like, let's go visit a printing press, like a small <laughs> business. And you're like, well, that was cool. Nothing to do with architecture, but it's cool. Right. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> but then other times you're like, Hey, here's this, here's this temple or this church that I lived down the street from that I never knew about. And there's a gorgeous mosaic on it. Oh my gosh. I need to do this. It's I mean, you could just drive down, bring the cheese curds next October <laughs> to open house Chicago together. That sounds amazing, actually. And I, yeah, I'm sort of weirdly excited to do some of the like architecture tours of the city because I know, I know those exist and I got to do them. Like, it just sounds so awesome. 
And yeah, I mean, I'm a, yeah, just kind of a total nerd about that kind of stuff. Um, Open House Chicago. I gotta, I gotta look that up because that sounds it's, amazing. It is. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember very vividly the first time I walked into the Palmer House, Palmer House Hotel. The Palmer House Hilton now. Hilton, excuse me. And saw that absolutely amazing bar restaurant lobby space and I about fainted as just and I just want more of that so I'm excited to be in Chicago and learn about all the historical architecture too (laughs) it's uh we invented the skyscraper and I get very snobby about it frankly (laughs) every time someone's like well New York and I'm like we invented the skyscraper oh no New York pshaw come talk to me about Adler and Sullivan and Daniel Burnham (laughs) yes yes love it (laughs) yeah Uh, that's that's what I'm a big nerd about I mean I'm also a huge Star Wars nerd which is a whole nother a whole nother thing but yeah history nerd for sure yeah yeah Uh, I have a theory that everyone has a war that's like their not a pet war but like the war that is a the like the stories pull them in. For me, it's World War One, mm, the yeah. romance of World War One and how atrocious it was that they were doing trench warfare with machine guns is just so upsetting to me. Yes. Um, but for a lot of other people, it's like the Civil War or World War Two. I feel like everyone has some conflict through history that just kind of draws them in. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's the Revolutionary War. Mm-hmm. I would say, um, there's, yeah. I mean, if we're, if we're talking like American, you know, involvement, um, in war, that would certainly be, be the one, um, it doesn't have to be American because honestly, the romance of world war one for me is, I think about all those English soldiers in France. Yeah. And then the irony that like they signed a treaty that said this will end all wars i mean come on yeah <laughs> like it just <laughs> yeah i mean you know there's there's a lot of um i i tend to fall into the rabbit hole of the crusades as mm. well um just because there's you know there's sort of a height of um uh, what's the word I want? Like the 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 centers of Islam and the Middle Eastern world at that time were incredible powerhouses. Um, and to learn the sort of wretched history on from all angles of that um, war is pretty incredible. But being a history nerd, you know, I kind of I I fall into a lot of those things too. I mean, the War of the Roses is fascinating. Um, the Hundred Years' War is fascinating. Everything kind of has its its weird, uh, not quirks, but it, interesting points to it that that develop um, the history that follows it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the Revolutionary War. There's there's something very, um, I guess, inspiring about you know, ragtag militia people taking on the British government, (laughs) taking on the the mighty British military. Um, But honestly, too, so, so many of those things have been 
tainted for me too, because, you know, the history that we learn in school is not the real history in a lot of ways. Um, And so, you know, educating myself on the, both, both the successes and the failures of all of those things is um, really interesting too. But yeah, Revolutionary War, I would have to say that's kind of my, my go-to. Would you want to reenact the Revolutionary War? Um, no, I don't, (laughs) I don't, I don't think so. You know, so being, being part of the reenactment community. So we do, you know, like 16th century English, um, military stuff. And I've done that for several years now. And so we get connected to a lot of other groups that do a lot of other eras and, and things like that. And there was a time where there was a group really trying to recruit me for revolutionary war stuff. And I was just like, I, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can really, really get into that to, to like go that deep into the rabbit hole. But um, yeah, I just love learning about it. Yeah. And when you're reenacting it at the Bristol Renaissance Fair, are you also watching the stage managers at the Renaissance Fair? Are you like, nope, I'm performing now. This is my summer thing. Yeah, it's been, um, (laughs) I would love to stage manage the Renaissance Fair. I think that'd be really cool. Um, most of the time I'm, I'm in performance mode. So I kind of, you know, I'm in costume and I kind of have my plan for the day and, and all of that kind of stuff. So I don't get to interact much with the stage management, but I would love to, I'd love to be on that team, uh, someday I think that would be a hoot yeah yeah um final question yes what brings you joy oh gosh um it it, it can be something silly for me it's ducktails I am literally <gasps> wearing my ducktail socks right now love it yes I think um there you know there's there's lots of things that bring me joy I I have two very young cats at home, one of which is, is scratching at my door as we speak. Um, and they, I mean, they bring me joy every second of every day. I love those little monsters more than I can adequately express. Um, and especially during this pandemic, uh, having pets at home, uh, this, this, my mental health would have looked a lot different <laughs> if I didn't have the company of, of my two adorable cats. So they definitely bring me joy. Um, you know, re rewatching favorite TV shows brings me a lot of joy. I mean, I think I've watched like Parks and Rec 87 times now. Like it has to be, it's just like obnoxious, but there's something about connecting with characters and feeling like, you're, you're hanging out with them for, you know, a 30 minute episode of something that brings me a lot of joy. Um, yeah, you know, the, the changing of the seasons brings me a lot of joy. It's starting to get a little warmer Mm -hmm. and that's always, um, something to look forward to. I know my parents live in, in Florida now and they, um, are always like, oh, you should totally move down here to be close to us and all that kind of stuff. I was like, y'all won't have seasons. I need seasons. I need something other than like 80 degree muggy heat. Like there's just something exciting about like 
seeing those things change and, and waiting for that first warm day or that first snowfall or, you know, all that kind of stuff that brings me joy. That's lovely. Hmm. Well, on that note, the changing of the seasons. Thank you. Thank you. This has been such a treat. Oh, I'm, it was been a delightful conversation and thank you so much for agreeing to do this and for talking to me today. Absolutely. All right, folks, this is your Places Call. Places, please, for top of show. This was the fourth episode of Waiting for Places, a podcast highlighting stage managers living and working in the central region of the United States. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to it. It will help other stage managers find it. And also make sure to click subscribe so you can get new episodes every Friday through July 9th. This podcast was presented by Ethical Rioting Productions. I am your host, Katrina Herman. This week on Waiting for Places, you heard from Joe Shaloub. The stage manager calling places was Madeline Scott. This episode was edited by Katrina Herman with graphic design by Nicholas B. Paluha. A huge thank you to Morgan Zupanski, Chris Laporte, and the rest of the Waiting for Places think tank. Fredo Aguilar, Caitlin Boddy, Mary Hungerford, and Jacqueline Saldana. Stand by for the next episode. Great. And House is ours. Standby lights and sound for top of show. Have a good show, folks.